Welcome back. Richard, it's good to see you this morning. Hey, how are you? I- I'm good. Just celebrated a uh, good old Earth Day birthday. Uh, oh, yeah. Yesterday was Earth Day, right? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a nice day. It, it, Earth well, Day and birthday. Yes, yes. Uh, both happening all at the same time. Right. So, yeah. um, now, so last week we talked about... Um, we talked about the some of the finances behind vouchers, and um, we're, we're even a little bit late getting this podcast recorded and, and posted because we've been sorting the truth. Oh, we've been sorting through stuff and trying to understand where all this stuff is coming from, and so we uh, and we maybe have some thoughts, at least not answers, but some thoughts about. Um, a few additional questions. So we're going to talk about that today. Just talk about a little bit more about the vouchers and some of our concerns. Yeah, Florida's about to launch a whole new, enter a whole new world here that um, we've never, we, the United States has never done before. It's, this right. has never occurred. This has never happened in the United States. And we thought, well, let's let's try to get some understanding because it's going to affect every school kid and every family in the state of Florida. Right. Uh, one of those things that will affect everybody. It's set up to provide every family with resources. And so we thought, well, given the magnitude, given the importance of this thing, maybe we ought to talk about it. What we found out was it's incredibly complicated, right. um, far more than we're going to be able to unravel here. Um, and so we learned very quickly that the financial aspects of this of this bill um, are way beyond anything that we're going to sort out here. Right. Well, and I think that the 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 key behind that is that th- there's just really no clear answers. You know, you look in one place and it says it's going to look this way and it's going to have this much money connected to it. And then you look over here and it's a little bit different and, and, and that there's these other resources or some other resources that aren't mentioned. And it's it's like you can't you, you can't figure out what is the reality of it. And the other part is that, you know, as you said, you know, this has never been done before. And right. you know, that's so very often the goal, I think, that some government officials have is that they want to be the first to do some of these, what they hope will be innovative and, and uh, future directed ideas. However, um there's there's not a lot to pull from as far as research or other experiences that people in in examples where people have done some of this stuff and so it, it's a, it's a, a bit of a mystery as far as what's going to happen but there there are some things that that we think are pretty intuitive as far as problems go um right. because we can see some things that have been done um because you know we're told that it's going to improve education um, and my goodness, last, if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, we try to talk about the financial piece pieces to it a little bit. And that part sounds like a mess, um, because it's clear that some schools are going to lose out. Some schools are, are absolutely going to, um, lose funding and, um, you know, what, what's going to happen to those schools. And so the financial thing is one piece, one piece of it that, it will take a team to understand. But the other thing is the educational implications. Right. Yeah. There's this, there's this perspective, many perspectives, you know, what what we're talking about here is house bill one, it's called house build one. 
And it is that starting in July 1st, now that that's House Bill 1, this also has to be approved by the Senate, right. but people are pretty, pretty sure that it will be. Um, what it does is that it will give every student in the state of Florida, and we're talking about a little over 3 million um, students. K-12. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, yeah, K-12 students. Um, every student will uh, be eligible to receive a little over $8,000, um, which is what the state uses. Uh, that's the state budget for each kid is about $8,000, a little bit more than that. And parent families can use that money however they choose. That Instead of the money going to a school, it will go to the parents. And the parents then can use that money to put their child into any school you want, right. regardless of income. So it doesn't matter whether you're you know, making $20,000 a year or $2 million a year, every student is eligible. There are no restrictions. Every student in the state of Florida will, will have this thing. It's called a voucher. And you can, and parents can use that voucher in any public or private school in the state. Right. Okay? And, there, and there are already some vouchers here in Florida because, right. you know, they, if, if a student has special needs or if there are some particular circumstances regarding the student's school or mm-hmm. some even some interpersonal um, issues between students, like if a student has been bullied or or there's some um, social issues at the school, even the, in those cases, there are scholarships and, and opportunities for students to be able to change schools, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily, not, not always that, that same amount of money attached to it, but mm-hmm. it, it eventually gets there because of, uh, of the way. The, the important part of these vouchers and that just over $8,000 that you were talking about is because that money goes, you know, if, if a student wants to go to a private school, you right. know, th- that's where the money part comes in to be really important. Because if, if a go- kid goes from one public school to another public school, it's not like the parents are given $8,000 to to do something with. It's just that that money, that money shifts from the one school's budget to the other school's budget, it really comes in, in into play when a student wants to go to a private school. And so if the, the tuition for the private school is $16,000, um, which many of them here in, in, in our area is, mm-hmm. um, then that voucher would cover about half of that tuition. And then the parent would be responsible for the other half. So um, yeah, that, traditionally, that yeah, traditionally, if you wanted to send your children to a private school, you still pay you still pay property taxes, which is what funds education uh, in the state of Florida. But you had to pay extra to send your child to a private. But that was your choice. Okay. Right. Now the state is going to give you that eight thousand dollars and say, "Here, you can take this money and put it someplace else." Mm-hmm. The question becomes: Is that money being taken out of the child's regular school? What what we call a neighborhood school, okay? Because right now in the state of Florida, we have neighborhood schools, magnet schools, and charter schools, okay? And the magnet and charter schools can attract kids from anywhere in the county, anywhere in the state, actually, but anywhere in the county. And so the question becomes, does the money follow the child? You know, if the money is given to the parent, is it taken out of the neighborhood school's budget? And I don't know the answer to that question. Right. And it would seem it would seem as the way that they're talking about it, that seems to be the case. And again, those financial implications are seem to be pretty significant. But 
Um, but but the whole idea is to create competition, right? It, it, to create competition to say, well, if your school, if a, if a principal or the the building staff is able to improve a school well enough, it's going to want to it's going to start to attract students, and right. then students are going to want to come to that. Parents are going to want to send their kids to that school, and so the school is going to perform better. And it's the the same kind of shopping for schools that parents do when they're shopping for groceries or shopping for any other anything else. And the idea is that that shopping, that that competition is going to make schools better. That's that's right. sort of the theory behind it. Yeah. The logic behind vouchers is if you give parents money to shop for the best school, whatever that for a school, I don't want to say best school, for a school for their child. The choice in turn will create competition and competition in turn will make all schools work harder. All right. That's the logic behind this thing. But that's an economic theory. I mean, that came out of the University of Chicago, this this idea that competition makes everybody better. Okay, I'm not sure that it does. Um, I'm not an economist. I'm not I don't know much. I don't know anything about business. but if you've tried to buy health insurance, that's supposed to be a competitive industry, you know, that um, or Internet service. You know, in, in our county, if you want to get Internet service, you have one or two. I think one choice right now. Right. OK. Right. So they say competition is good. How about a nursing home? Do nursing homes compete? I don't I don't think they do. Right. Um, or even medical care. Where do you go? So people say, well, competition makes everything better. But I'm not. I'm not sure that it does in in any field, but I wonder, especially, will competition work in education? Right, and, and that's the big question because right. you know if we if we're looking at sort of big question number one, this this school choice will school choice make education better? Well, right. we we already have somewhat of a model for that. We have school choice, correct? And mm-hmm. what we know and what we have seen is that. It, for some, yeah, it it does really great because they they work on a lottery system. And if your if your student is lucky enough to have their number drawn to be able to go to one of these um, choice schools, one of these schools that that do perform very well because they have these additional resources and things like that, then yeah, that 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 student's going to do you know likely do well because they're going to have those opportunities right. now. That means that this parent has to be able to, has to transport that student to that school. That means that you know that means that the school that that student would have gone to now loses that strong student. Um, and so, for some, yeah, maybe maybe it helps, but for others, probably yeah, not. We have we in our county we have what are called magnet schools with elementary and middle schools, especially. And the idea was to make the schools so good, mm-hmm. whatever good, no, we have to be careful what we mean by good, mm-hmm. but to make a school so good that parents will be drawn to it. Right. And that's the magnet part. They'll be drawn to it no matter where they live, no matter what they have to do. The school is so good. That's great for that school. But there aren't enough of those schools in the county they build one in in they build one or two in lakeland they build one in bartow they build one in winter haven but there aren't enough places so it's done by lottery right okay so if you're lucky enough to get a number if your child is lucky enough to be chosen 
that then you're in good shape because you get to go to that school. Okay. Um, you also have to be able to get your child there and back. Okay. Or if you are wealthy enough to send your child to a, a private school, then um, the money can be used to supplement your tuition costs. Okay. So if you, if you have money, if you have parents who are concerned and if your number comes up, so what we have here in, you know, the United States is arguably the wealthiest country in the world. We've reduced education to a lottery system. If you're lucky enough to have your number selected, you go to a good school. If not, you sort of get stuck in your neighborhood school, which may or may not still be good. Okay. What are you escaping? Right. You know, if you're escaping that school, why are you escaping it? Because you want to be at these premier academies. Right. But we don't have enough premier academies for everybody. So we're going to do it by by lottery. Okay. Right. So, yeah. yeah it's going to be good for some. It's good for some kids. Absolutely. And, and so, but that leads us to the second big question, and that is, does school choice make the schools better? Right. And again, I, I think I think what the evidence that we have so far is that it makes some schools better. But That's right. And and to me, this is where this is where it may, schools are very different than other areas of business. You know, you you can't look at schools in the same way that you look at a business. Um, we were chatting before we started to record and we used the example. And I, and I think even while we we're talking, I said that I'm not going to use this example, but now I'm going to use it anyways. Um, because, I wondered if you were going to be able to contain yourself. Yeah. But, you know, we we look at, you know, car dealerships or, or, or car manufacturers and we think, you know, yeah, some people prefer Ford over Chevrolet or, or over Toyota or some of these other companies. But all of those companies, for the most part, they have the same natural resources. They have the same base resources that they use to manufacture their vehicles. Mm-hmm. But, if, but if one um, one company has you know high grade steel, those really good resources coming in, and another company has you know aluminum and and um, you know very poor uh, materials coming in. Clearly, one company is going to perform better than the other. And mm-hmm. so when, you, when you're looking at schools, right. schools can't be compared to other businesses because they don't have the same, they don't have the same things coming into it. And, and, and it's it does feel horrible to say this. And I and I hate thinking about it this way, but there are some schools who, because of where those schools are, the students that go there have maybe less opportunities they have fewer resources because of the the economic disadvantage in in the area they mm-hmm. they may have an increased number of students with learning disabilities or other um limitations the students going into those schools from from the perspective of how well the school performs the students going into those schools just aren't going to be capable of performing as well as students who come from areas that have are affluent, who have plenty of resources, who have had additional resources since the moment they they were born. Mm -hmm. Those two schools are just have different national natural resources. And to compare them, you know, we've talked about the problem with school grades and things like that. We've talked about that for years, but to, to compare them and say, okay, now we're going to, this is going to make these schools equal balance. Mm -hmm. That's, that's insanity. There's no way that you're going to be able to do that. Right. That's right. And so 
you know, the first question is, does it, does it, does it help the student? The second question is, is it going to, is competition, is, is this choice, this idea of choice going to make schools better? Yeah. If you can select and yeah. retain the students, um, you know, then, then if you, if you get to select the students you want, yeah, then that school's going to perform better. Um, if you get to keep out the students who are struggling academically or struggling behaviorally, yeah, that school's going to get real good because they get to select the students who are there. So competition will make some schools better, but it's going to leave those disadvantaged students in some other school. Right. And that other school is going to have a very hard time performing at a high level just because of the students who are there. Right. Okay. So the third question is, it goes right into that. Are you going to have enough high quality schools? You say, well, well, they'll compete for schools. Okay. So will there be enough good schools to accommodate all the people who have vouchers? I mean, right. theoretically, there's going to be three, almost three and a half million kids. There'll be 3 million children looking for a school to go to. Right. Well, will there be enough of these high achieving academies to absorb all of them? And what I'm reading is there's nothing in the bill that says we will have enough places. It right. says they're probably going to be limited and we're probably going to rely on a lottery. Right. So again, uh, no, there probably won't be, an, there may not be enough places, but the question is, will there be enough places for all the kids to go to a choice school if they want to? Right. Here in, here in our town, um, we have lots of examples. Um, and, and one that we've written about before is a comparison of these these two schools. One is a magnet school and one is a, a neighborhood school. And, you know, there's all these additional resources that go into the magnet school because it has attracted, you know, it's created this high quality education, even though it's in a, a more challenging and um, poorer area of town, it's attracted you know, really strong students. And so that school has lots of resources. Um, and then just a couple of miles down the road is a general education um, uh, neighborhood school. Neighborhood school. When you compare those two schools, th there is, well, I mean, really, there is no comparison. The, no. The, the one school, the magnet school, does far superior to the other school, which it should, but that school only has so many desks. It, it only has so many seats that it can have. Other students are going to have to go to that other school. And right. so and there, so there's nothing that we can see in the bill that says, well, we're going to provide additional resources to these other schools to bring them up to the good standards that they should be at. Right. Mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing that says that that's going to happen. And, and in fact, it's almost the opposite because it says that, well, if students want to leave that school and go to another school, we're going to take more resources or so it seems they're just going to take more resources because we're going to take away eight, about just over $8,000 for each student that leaves. We're going to take that money away from them and give it to another school. Well, right. how can that school, how can those other schools survive? Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, there There's going to be a whole bunch of parents who aren't going to be able to transport their kids to other schools. There's going to be a whole bunch of parents who just don't have the understanding, the awareness, the the ability to put their kids in another school. And so they're going to be left there at a school that's going to start to go bankrupt, basically. Right. Exactly. That's what, yeah, you're going to have this money drain. You're going to have these resources drained out of these uh, neighborhood schools. And eventually they're going to they're 
the quality will go down and eventually they'll close. Right. And you say, well, that's a good thing. Then let's get rid of those bad schools. Wait a minute. Where do those kids go? Right. You, know, you, you don't have enough places for those kids to go. Okay. Mm-hmm. You certainly don't have enough high quality desks for those kids to go. Okay. Right. You want to do this, build a bunch of magnet schools right. so that every kid has a choice to go to a magnet school. Right. There was a, there was a school, um, in in one of our small towns in, in our county that um a small a school that closed because it, it was performing poorly it was in a really um poor area of town and that school closed and they took the students from that school and they divided them among three different schools three other elementary schools in the same town well what that eventually did was you had students who lived in this neighborhood uh, or this, um, not even neighborhood, it was just an apartment complex. And then there was a chain link fence. And then there were duplexes. The students in the in the um, apartment complex, they went to one school and the students in the duplexes right next door, like, you know, not even necessarily 100 feet away, go to another school, a different school, mm-hmm. and they're bust in all these different places. Um, that's not... That's not the way that education is really supposed to work because you're supposed to be going to school with students in your area so that, you know, that's how you build the resources. That's how you build your, your the, the thing that we've tried to avoid is that social emotional learning. You know, you go to school with the people that you spend time with in, in your community right. so that you build the community. No, now we have, we're building competition because we have students in one school area going to one school and students right next door going to a different school Mm -hmm. that's not that's not going to improve the community right right and make each school better we're going to talk about that when as we go through this we're going to talk about that toward the end okay so question four then is what do you do with the students who are left behind you know who who is going to build a school that attracts the underachievers who's going to build a school that attracts the students with emotional and behavioral problems. Where does a child with autism? Who wants that child who's a behavioral challenge? Do I want? Do I want to build a school for those kids? In fact, we have some of those schools, and they're not doing well because right. what you do is you bring all these kids in one place who have problems. You can't. That's not an educational environment. Right. I mean, those are very, very difficult kids to manage. Those are not going to function like traditional schools. Right. You can create schools for them. But they're not going to be high quality schools. They're going to be maybe better than the public school or maybe better than a regular school because your child. But now you're going to put all those kids with behavior problems together. Well, it's better than the general education school or regular school from the perspective of managing the student's behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when it comes at least to they're being, not, at least they're not disrupting other students. Right. But but it's not they're they're not going to be making the same academic gains because it's going to have to slow down the curriculum is going to have to slow down, which may be what those students need. But then you get to you know again funding is so often based upon how well the school performs on testing, and those students just aren't going to perform well on testing. And so it, there's all these nuances that. Are, are, are problematic. We, we haven't even talked about students who are homeless. I mean, there, there's a large, um, a large population of people in our state that are that that have housing insecurity. They they don't know where they're going to sleep tonight, and right. 
what about those students? Yeah. Right. You know, what happens to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where, where are they living? Um, can they even access these things? And even, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do with the homeless. Okay. I don't know. And what do you do with children with special needs? Right. You know, are they going to have, are they going to have places to go? Are we going to create schools? Are we going to create institutions? I mean, you're almost saying that these kids aren't going to be welcome anyplace else. So kids with special needs, I guess they're going to end up in their own private schools. That's what we tried to end, you know, just a few decades ago that we didn't want kids segregated in institutions. Are we inadvertently, is this going to be one of the unintended consequences that we're going to take all the kids with behavior problems, all the kids with special needs, and they're going to have to be shunted off to other places because nobody wants them. Nobody wants to compete for them. Right. Yeah. Talk about being left behind. So the only way the choice, it it seems to us at least, and we're not, we're not educational experts in that regard, but it seems to us that the only way choice will work is if you have enough places so that we can offer every student Mm -hmm. to get to their, first of all, that there are enough places for the kids to go to and we have transportation to get them there because if you set up a system where if 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 the school I want to go to is 10 miles away right but I I'm a single dad and I work full time I can't get my kids to that school right so that's not so I don't have a choice right. because I'm a single working parent on the other hand if you say well we'll provide transportation for all of you then who pays for that Right. I mean, you're going to have an increased cost. Is that is that built in? No, right now, I don't know whether it's built in or not. But if you're going to have choice, then let's make that choice the same for everybody, not for the lucky few who win a lottery, not for the lucky few who the parent who doesn't have to work, who can provide transportation and who has a vehicle and who has the money. Um, so let's let's think through this very carefully because choice will only work if everybody has an equal opportunity, anything right. short of that, you're going to perpetuate this two tiered system that we have today, where we right. have the elite academies that are working great for some kids and some schools. And then you have everybody else struggling to make it. Right. right. And so we don't want to do anything that perpetuates that two tiered system because that's antithetical to what the founding fathers, or at least the second generation of founding fathers said that we want to educate all citizens. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, as, as we look over the past few decades and right. we see what has happened, how things have evolved from, you know, even if we go back to, you know, no child left behind, you know, and, and, and some of those policies that were written with the goal of um, making the focus in schools much more narrow. Um, you know, remember, it wasn't that long ago that, many schools got rid of things like recess and art and music and to some extent, even PE, um, you know, most kids don't have PE every day um, right. at many elementary schools still now, even though there's, they're technically supposed to um, not all schools have recess for elementary age students, at least not recess every day. So, you know, We've taken those things, those, so many of those things have been taken out of schools and, uh, you know, I agree that many are trying to put them back in, 
But policies like this, our fear is that we're going to start going back to, okay, we're going to have to take that stuff out because we want to be a high achieving, uh, excellent school so that we can attract students. Um, You know, the schools are going to have to start making decisions that's going to pull those students to them. Right. So they're still going to make those decisions. Yeah. Earlier in the podcast, I I mentioned that, you know, what do we mean by a good school or hyper? What exactly when we say, well, the best schools or we want to create good schools or we want to create effective schools. I don't care which word you use. Right. What are you measuring? What do you mean? Do you mean a school that has high test scores? Do you mean a school that has no behavior problems? Do you mean a school that um, has adequate playgrounds and resources? Do you what what do you mean? When, when we say, well, parents will pursue good schools, what do you mean by a good school? And I'm guessing that a good school is a school that's quiet, that's orderly, that has no behavior problems. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're talking about selecting a certain kind of student body. Right. I mean, you, you can't do that by opening up your doors to everybody. That's what a neighborhood school is. It opens its doors to everybody and they, they make it work for everybody. Right. But, but, you you if you're if you're going to say best school are you doing test scores are right. you doing quiet are you doing orderly what do you mean by the best school okay right. um so and what we've done over the past as you were saying over the past 30 years we've created a school where all we focus on are these basic skills all we want to teach is we want to focus on math and reading. We'll do the other stuff later. There was a time when when uh, teachers in elementary schools, elementary schools, did not teach science and social studies right. because it wasn't reading and math, and they were being graded. Teachers in schools were being graded on reading and math scores that their students were doing on on end of year tests. And so, well, if that's what I'm going to be graded on, that's where I'm going to spend my time. Right. So again, it's, what are you measuring? What do you mean by best? You mean the best test scores? We can create that but you're going to get rid of art, music, PE, and anything else that's fun because you don't have time for that. We did away with field trips until after the testing was over. We did away with field trips. We don't go on field trips anymore until after the tests have been taken. Okay. And so anything that might be smack of fun or enjoyable, you got rid of, um, you know, recess or that that didn't help test scores, Uh, music that didn't help test scores. So we pressured principals, teachers, students, and parents to focus on test scores. In the in the process, schools were kind of turned into little factories where only academic subjects were allowed. And if it's not academic, then you're not allowed to talk about it. Um, we have these bills now about you can't discuss diversity, you can't discuss race, you can't discuss uh, gay, gender, whatever. And the and the rationale is well these don't have anything to do with education, so it's not they're not enhancing they're not teaching when you talk about race you're not talking about math and science and 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 uh, reading when you talk about cultural uh, we talk about um, gender um, but there's no need to talk about that because that has nothing to do with academic skills well if you're going to distill everything to academic skills if that's what you want your schools to do they're only going to focus on those things, then um, then that's the kind of school we're going to create where you're not allowed. So what do you do? Do you ask kids to park their emotions at the door? Do you ask these kids not to talk about this stuff? Do you ask them not to have, where, where do you, what do they do with their trauma and their emotions? You got to leave it out in the parking lot. You're not allowed to bring it into the building. 
And who gets to decide what's prohibited? Who gets to make these decisions? Okay. Do you want those? Do you want prohibitions? Do you want to say to kids, you can't come here and talk about this? You're not allowed to discuss this because it has nothing to do with basic academic skills. I don't know whether that's really the kind of schools we want to create, but that's what we've created. That's the environment we've created. And in that environment, now we're saying to parents, we want you to choose a school that's best for your child. Right. We used to have what are called neighborhood schools and everybody in the neighborhood would work to make that neighborhood school better. Now the goal is not to make schools better. Now it's to give your child every advantage that you can. Get about everybody else. You just take care of your child and you get your child the best education you can. Forget about everybody else. Right. And, and I and I think that the, the, there's so much that's lost in that because just what just a few things that you were just talking about has so many other implications because, right. you know, to say, well, you can't talk about these things. Um, that those things, whether it's race or, or gender or, or just economics, diversity, all of those things. Are, are critically important and play a heavily influential role in every child's life. You know, right. we like to say that it doesn't, but it absolutely does. You right. go to any elementary uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, right. and you just listen whether talking at lunch or, you know, on, on the playground or anywhere. One of the main things they're talking about are relationships. Right. He likes her. She likes him. She likes her. He likes him. They're talking about all of these things. And if we're not creating a place for them to feel as though they can talk about that stuff, where are they going to, where are they going to go to understand it? And I'm not talking about teachers teaching any of these things because my goodness, teachers are not teaching (laughs) critical race theory. Teachers are not teaching kids about gender identity. They're not teaching them those things. So people right. just need to stop saying that. Right. They're not teaching them those things. What they're doing is they're listening to students as they're talking about it. And they're saying, yeah, I hear you. That's a tough problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not saying, yeah, you know what? Um, you know, yeah, Richard, I, I hear you. Um, you know, you might be a you might be a a a female. You know, you should start identifying that way. They're they're not doing that, and they people need to stop saying that they are because they're not. Right. But as Thank soon you. as we start start taking the opportunity to hear students talk about that stuff, now we are creating more problems, and, and that's just a a simple reality, uh, and and an unfortunate reality to the to the situation. We we are. We are stifling and creating more problems by trying to take away something that isn't even really there. Right, right. It's not there to begin. No, but critical race theory, (laughs) critical race theory is not a course. It's it's a concept that's taught in law schools. It's not being taught anywhere. There is no course in critical race theory. It doesn't exist. So stop making enemies where there aren't any. Stop making boogeymen where there aren't any. You know, these are not, there's nothing to be afraid of. Nobody's teaching critical race theory. Nobody's teaching kids to be gay. Um, Right. When they say that's not part of the curriculum, that's not part of the state standards and part of the curriculum. You're right. It's not part of the curriculum. Nobody's teaching it. Nobody's trying to make it part of the curriculum. So there's no need to get 
Yeah, there's no need to get rid a of a library book that talks right. about it doesn't mean that a teacher's teaching it. It's just giving a student the opportunity to read a book that helps them understand themselves better. My yeah. goodness, isn't that what schools that's part of what schools are all about? Used to be part of what schools were about. That's right. But in middle school, you have kids going through this identity crisis. It's just part of their normal teenage development. And but we're not allowed to talk about that at school. Right. Um you know, what kind of schools, what what do we want? Because um, schools are a core, education is a core constitutional responsibility of state government. I mean, part of every state government is to provide a quality education to all students, to all students. If you create a system that provides education, quality education for some, but not all, you're technically in violation of your state's constitution. And that's, I fear, what we're creating here. Um, I would like to be proven otherwise. I would like for these bills, as they make their way through the legislature, as they get put into law, you know, that that they, they are designed to provide quality education for all students, all students, not just those who are lucky enough to have their number drawn in a lottery, okay? Right. This is a political decision. This is this is a political decision based on an economic theory, may or may not work for education, but it certainly is a shift in public policy. Right. And I think we have the right to know more about it, and we have a right. We have a no. We have a duty to ask these difficult questions mm-hmm. because to create a two tiered school system does not serve the state or the country very well. Uh, it, it, it's not. It doesn't right now. Um, I moved here in 2000 to Florida in 2001, and that was the first thing I encountered was that we have two schools, two right. tiers in Florida. If you're lucky enough to get the top tier, you're in good shape. But right. if you're here, you might not get the education that you deserve. Okay? Right. That's right. not what we set out to do as a nation. When we decided to do universal education, it was education for all. We wanted to educate all citizens, not just some. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll we'll get off our soapboxes for today. Oh, man, it's so hard not to, isn't it? We'll keep looking at this and and keeping track of what's going on and share with you all what we find as we go. So that's it for this week. Before you leave, before you leave, um, we're going to talk about this some more. I don't know whether we're going to talk about it again next week, but um, we've been talking among ourselves that it seems like thing. It seems like life is becoming more difficult. Um, I hear more and more people say, "I'm tired." I'm, you know, um, if you're having struggles, if you're having problems, please let us know. Um, you know, get on the website or get on email, and let us know what your experiences are, what you're struggling with, um, because it does feel like we're all struggling a little harder with things for some reason. Nobody seems to know why, but um, if you wouldn't mind sharing those with us, what are you struggling with? Because um, we'd like to talk about that in uh, in future podcasts. Absolutely. So, all right. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.